Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for October 21st Saturday reading of the Arapahoe County News. My name is Tim. Today we will be reading the following main articles. Representative Jim Jordan will try again for House gavel, but Republicans won't back the hardline Trump ally. By Lisa Mascaro, AP Congressional Correspondent. After 189 bodies were found in Penrose Funeral Home, evidence suggests families received faked ashes. By Jesse Bedane, Associated Press, Report for America. Arapahoe County approves amendments for oil and gas regulations by Nina Joss. Turning Point USA, Colorado Parent Advocacy Network raised concerns about books in Cherry Creek schools by Taylor Shaw. Deadman. Representative Jim Jordan will try again for House gavel, but Republicans won't back the hardline Trump ally. I'm still running for speaker, and I plan to go to the floor and get the votes and win this race. Despite deepening opposition, Representative Jim Jordan made an impassioned push to become House Speaker ahead of a Friday vote, even as his Republican colleagues are explicitly warning the hard-edged ally of Donald Trump that no more threats or promises can win over their support. The House is scheduled to convene for Jordan's third try at the gavel, but Republicans have no realistic or workable plan to unite the fractured GOP majority, elect a new speaker, and return to the work of Congress that has been languishing since hardliners ousted Kevin McCarthy at the start of the month. The American people are hungry for change, Jordan said at the Capitol. Drawing on his Ohio roots, the far-right Jordan, who was popular with the GOP's activist base of voters, positioned his long-shot campaign alongside the history of American innovators, including the Wright brothers, urging his colleagues to elect him to the speakership. We need to get to work for the American people, he said. But after two failed votes... Jordan's third attempt at the gavel is not expected to end any better. In fact, Friday is likely to produce an even worse tally for the fiery Judiciary Committee chairman, in large part because more centrist-rank-and-file Republicans are revolting over the hardball tactics being used to win their votes. They have been bombarded with harassing phone calls and even reported death threats. I'm still running for speaker, and I plan to go to the floor and get the votes and win this race, said Jordan, a founder of the far-right House Freedom Caucus. But more than two weeks into the stalemate that has shuttered the U.S. House, leaving a seat of American democracy severely hobbled at a time of challenges at home and abroad, the House Republican majority appears to have no idea how to end the political turmoil and get back to work. He doesn't have the votes to be Speaker, Representative Carlos Jimenez, Republican Florida, said after a late Thursday meeting when Jordan sought to hear them out and shore up support. The holdouts want nothing from Jordan, Jimenez said adding that some of the lawmakers in the meeting simply called on Jordan to drop out of the race. One extraordinary idea to give the interim speaker pro tempore, Representative Patrick Mahenry, pickup. One extraordinary idea to give the interim speaker pro tempore, Representative Patrick McHenry, more powers for the next several months to at least bring the House back into session, and conduct crucial business was swiftly rejected by Jordan's own ultra-conservative allies. Jordan had backed the temporary speaker plan as a way to allow more time to shore up support in his own reach for the gavel. Asinine, said Representative Chip Roy, Republican Texas, a leader of the far-right House Freedom Caucus. 
Next steps were highly uncertain as angry. Frustrated Republicans predicted the House could essentially stay closed for the pickup. Next steps were highly uncertain as angry, frustrated Republicans predicted the House could essentially stay closed for the foreseeable future, perhaps until the mid-November deadline for Congress to approve funding or risk a federal government shutdown. We're trying to figure out if there's a way we can get back with a Republican-only solution, said veteran legislator Representative Tom Cole. Representative Oklahoma. That's what normally pick up. That's what normal majorities do. What this majority has done is prove it's not a normal majority. What was clear was that Jordan's path to become House Speaker was almost certainly collapsing. Representative John Rutherford, Republican Florida, said it's not going to happen. After a first failed vote Tuesday, Jordan lost rather than gained ground on a crucial second ballot Wednesday, opposed by 22 Republicans, two more than the day before. Many view the Ohio congressman as too extreme for a central seat of U.S. power, second in line to the presidency. One thing I cannot stomach or support is a bully said a statement from Representative Marietta Miller-Meeks, Republican Iowa, who voted against Jordan on the second ballot and said she received credible death threats. With Republicans in majority control of the House, 221 to 212, it appears there is no Republican candidate who can win a clear majority, 217 votes, to become Speaker. A closed-door meeting Thursday to regroup grew heated at times with Republican factions blaming one another for sending their majority into chaos, lawmakers said. When Republican Matt Gates of Florida, a chief architect, pick up. When Representative Matt Gates of Florida, a chief architect of the ouster of the Speaker, two weeks ago rose to speak, McCarthy told him it was not his turn. We're shaking up Washington, D.C. We're breaking the fever. And you know what? It's messy, Gates said later, saying he had no regrets over the past weeks of havoc. Elevating McHenry to an expanded speaker's role was seen as a possible off-ramp for the crisis, but it would not be as politically simple as it might seem. Republicans are loath to partner with the Democrats in a bipartisan way on the arrangement, but it's highly unlikely Republicans could agree to give McHenry more powers on their own, since their hardliners don't like it. McHenry himself has brushed off attempts to take the job more permanently after he was appointed to the role after the unprecedented ouster of McCarthy more than two weeks ago. I'm going to abide by the Constitution and the rules of the House, and no one is going to put me in a different position, McHenry said late Thursday, reiterating what he has told his colleagues. If there is some goal to subvert the House rules to give me powers without a formal vote, I will not accept it, he said. The North Carolina Republican, who is a well-liked by his colleagues, pick up. The North Carolina Republican, who is, is well-liked by his colleagues and viewed as a highly competent legislature, legislator, has said his job is to get the next speaker elected. That's my focus. McCarthy himself had leaned into the plan, explaining that he tapped McHenry for the usual for the unusual role created in the aftermath of the September eleventh, two thousand one terrorist attacks to ensure continuity of government. 
because he wanted someone that could work with all sides, and McHenry is ideal for that. To win over his GOP colleagues, Jordan had relied on backing from Trump, the party's frontrunner in the 2024 election, and groups pressuring rank-and-file lawmakers for the vote. But they were not enough and, in fact, backfired on some. Jordan has been a top Trump ally, particularly during the January 6th Capitol attack by the former president's backers who were trying to overturn the 22 um, who were trying to overturn the 2020 election he lost to Biden. Days later, Trump awarded Jordan a Medal of Freedom. First elected in 2006, Jordan has few bills to his name from his time in office. He also faces questions about his past. Some years ago, Jordan denied allegations from former wrestlers during this his time as an assistant wrestling coach at Ohio State University, who accused him of knowing about claims they were inappropriately groped by an Ohio, by an Ohio State doctor. Jordan has said he has never Jordan has said he was never aware of any abuse. After 189 bodies were found in Penrose Funeral Home, evidence suggests families received fake ashes. A Colorado funeral home where 189 decaying bodies were discovered this month appears to have fabricated cremation records and may have given families fake ashes, according to information gathered by the Associated Press from customers and crematories. The families that did business with Return to Nature Funeral Home fear their loved ones weren't cremated at all and instead could be among the yet unidentified corpses authorities discovered after responding to a report an abhorrent smell. My mom's last wish was for her remains to be scattered in a place she loved, not rotting away in a building, said Tanya Wilson, who believes the ashes she spread in Hawaii in August were fake. Any piece that we had, thinking that we honored her wishes, you know, was just completely ripped away from us. Return to Nature gave Wilson's family and some others death certificates stating their loved one's remains had been handled by one of two crematories. But those businesses told the AP they were not performing cremations for Return to Nature on the dates included on the certificates. Calls and texts sent to numbers listed for Return to Nature and owners John and Carrie Halford have gone unanswered since the discovery of the decaying bodies. No arrests have been made. Law enforcement officials have said return to nature's owners were cooperating as investigators sought to determine any criminal wrongdoing. The AP reviewed four death certificates shared by families. All list a crematory owned by Wilbert Funeral Services. But the deaths came at least five months after the company stopped doing cremations for the financially troubled Return to Nature funeral home last November. Lisa Epps, attorney for Wilbert, said members of at least 10 families told the company they had death certificates from after November. A second crematory, Roseland Funeral Home in Pueblo, Colorado, was contacted by a family last week that had a 2021 death certificate from Return to Nature listing Roselawn as their crematory. Roselawn did not do the cremation, said its manager, Rudy Krasovic. None of the families the AP interviewed received an identification tag or certificate that experts say are usually given to ensure cremations are authentic. Members of all four families described a similar consistency of the ashes that seemed like dry concrete. Two mixed some ashes with water and said they solidified. Dry concrete has been used before by funeral homes to mimic human ashes. Stephanie Ford said her dry-witted adrenaline junkie husband, Wesley Ford, had nightmares of waking up in a coffin and hated the idea of being buried and his body decaying. He wanted to be cremated, she said, and back to the earth quickly. Wesley Ford died in April and returned to nature handled the cremation. When Stephanie Ford learned of the grim discovery at the funeral home this month, 
Her daughter, a physician, took a closer look at the ashes. Mom, that's not Dad, she told her mother. I know logically it's not my fault, said Stephanie Ford, pushing the words through tears. There's a little bit of guilt on my part that I let him down. Public records show the Halfords and their company, which opened in 2017 and offered cremation and green burials without embalming fluids, were beset by recent financial and legal troubles. Among the problems were a forced eviction, unpaid taxes, and a lawsuit by Wilbert, which received a $21,000 judgment in June because Return to Nature failed to pay for a couple hundred cremations, Epps said. When Return to Nature gave the ashes to Wilson's family, her brother, Jesse Elliott, thought they were unusually heavy. Elliot confronted Carrie Halford about his concerns. Jesse, of course, this is your mother, Elliot recalled Halford telling him after she handed him a June death certificate, and that Wilbert handled the cremation. With both siblings skeptical, Wilson took some of the ashes to a different funeral home for a second opinion. Funeral director Amber Flickinger from Platt's Funeral Home told the AP that the ashes were unusually fine and dark, adding, I've never seen anything that looks like that in the range of what cremated remains would typically expect to look like. After the bodies were found at Return to Nature, Michelle Johnston also became skeptical of the ashes that the funeral home said were of her husband, Ken, a retired UPS driver with a gentle demeanor. After mixing the ashes with water, she said, it looked like concrete. I was just kind of getting to a place where I wasn't losing it every day, she said. And now, I don't know where my husband is. Properly cremated remains are made up of bone fragments that do not have any organic material left, which means they lack DNA that could be used to identify individuals, said Barbara Chemis, director of the Cremation Association of North America. Sometimes RNA is preserved in the bone fragments, and that can distinguish if the ashes are from a male or female, and if they are human or from another animal, she said. Determining that ashes are fake can be more straightforward, particularly when they've been substituted with concrete. A simple test entails wetting the material and seeing if it hardens when it dries, chemist said. Real ashes won't solidify and would stay brittle, said Faith Hogg, who chairs the Mortuary Science Program at Colorado's Arapahoe Community College. Authorities could be waiting to bring charges until they determine if there are any more improperly stored bodies, said Ian Farrell, a criminal law expert at the University of Denver Sturm College of Law. Potential charges under state law could include misdemeanor violations of mortuary regulations and misdemeanor fraud, Farrell said. Each body could result in separate charges, meaning potentially fines topping $100 million. The maximum consecutive sentence for misdemeanors is two years in jail, he said. If any federal charges were brought, the penalties potentially could be more severe. In January, a Colorado funeral home operator accused of illegally selling body parts and giving clients fake ashes received a 20-year prison sentence for federal mail fraud. Abby Swoveland hired Return to Nature when her mother, Sally Swoveland, passed away. The senior Swoveland had run a muzzle-loader gun shop called The Mountain Man for nearly 50 years with a sense of humor and a sharp tongue. When Abby Svovenlaw called Wilbert Funeral Services, listed on the death certificate, and learned they had long ago stopped doing business with Return to Nature, she was devastated. It completely has undone any healing that was taking place, Svovland said. Associate Press reporters Thomas Parapet in Colorado Springs and Amy Beth Hansen in Helena, Montana, contributed. Brainstorm Invisible Brain Disorder, Patients Finding Solutions at Aurora Institute Growing up, Allison Reed thought the shooting pain she experienced whenever she laughed, coughed, or sneezed was nothing to worry about. The pain raced down her neck and back. Since no one could explain the symptoms, she tried her best to shrug them off. You kind of think to yourself, maybe it's normal, Reed said. Maybe... 
Everybody feels this level of pain when they're coughing or laughing. In 2013, the Longmont mother of three suffered a head injury and began experiencing migraine headaches that were not as easy to ignore. An MRI of her injury showed that she also had a chirera malformation, a developmental disorder that causes part of the brain to protrude out of the gap between the skull and the spine. But since her doctors were unfamiliar with the problems caused by the condition, they did not make a connection at the time between Reed's headaches and her chirera. In 2022, Reed experienced two concussions back-to-back, and the once occasional migraines turned into non-stop barrage of debilitating neurological symptoms. She was constantly nauseous and stopped eating, losing about 50 pounds. The pain in her head, neck, and shoulder made it hard to sleep. She would stutter and hiccup uncontrollably, and she began to develop memory problems and had difficulties walking and swallowing. The problems escalated to the point that she was forced to quit her job providing respite services for people with disabilities. I would almost compare it to having a brain injury, she said. I was so forgetful and just so out of it, and I couldn't function. I slept all the time, and I am a mom of three. I can't sleep all the time. I have to get up and take care of my kids. I couldn't survive. And I kept trying to get help, and I kept getting turned away. Reed went to the emergency room, saw multiple doctors, and was prescribed medication for her headaches. The symptoms continued and grew worse. She said it was ultimately social media that led her to information about the effects of Chira malformations and the Aurora practice of neurosurgeon Colin Buchanan, who leads the Colorado Chiro Institute at the Medical Center of Aurora. Buchanan is one of a small number of surgeons in the region who specializes in treating Chiara malformations, and the Colorado Chiaro Institute is similarly unique for its focus on a brain disorder that is widely known but not well understood by many medical practitioners. Buchanan operated on Reed in February, removing one of her spinal vertebrae and inserting a metal plate in a procedure known as a chiaro decompression surgery. Since then, Reed said her headaches and other symptoms have only improved. The biggest thing that I cried about and was shocked about was that I could feel each of my fingers and I could feel my toes, she said. It's completely changed my life. I'm able to go back out and be active again. I'm able to go hiking I'm able to keep up with my kids, and that's all because he knew how to treat this. Tiaro Care gets a home in Colorado. In the early 2000s, neurosurgeon John Oro established the Colorado Tiaro Institute at the Medical Center of Aurora, focusing on the brain disorder that is estimated to impact about 0.1% of the U.S. population according to the American Association of Neurological Surgeons. Many of those people don't go on to develop symptoms, but for others, the pinching of the exposed section of brain between the skull and spine causes a buildup of fluid in the spinal cord, as well as symptoms that can be crippling. Buchanan said Aurora's work with Chiaro patients inspired him to join the clinic, Oro has since retired, and for the past year, Buchanan has been the Institute's sole neurosurgeon. At the moment, we're one of two or three centers like this in the U.S., he said. What we're trying to do is offer expertise in a condition that affects more people than we think. And we're trying to take an approach that's comprehensive and not just ruling people in or out for surgery. We're trying to help guide people through this process and educate them, and help them determine a treatment plan that makes sense for them, and that may or may not include surgery. Buchanan said the treatment options presented to patients depend on the presence of fluid-filled cysts called syrensics on the spinal cord, which are caused by the blockage of spinal fluid. 
He said the condition can inflict permanent neurological damage if left unchecked. For patients who don't have a CRNX, he said non-surgical treatments such as physical therapy and Botox injections can help manage the symptoms of Chiari. But for patients with a CRNX, Buchanan said he believes there isn't an acceptable alternative to surgery. After years of dealing with symptoms that had forced her to quit her job and impacted her ability to be present with her children, Reed said she was relieved when Buchanan recommended decompression surgery. It's what I was hoping for, she said. I knew I needed it, and I felt like I won the lotto when he told me that I got to have brain surgery, which I know sounds crazy, but that's where I was at. I hugged him because I was so grateful that he was willing to treat me and take me on as a patient. Buchanan, who said he's on track to perform between 50 and 75 decompression surgeries this year, also said Reed wasn't alone in struggling to find medical professionals who understood the ins and outs of Chiari. I think it requires some exposure to this to understand what Chiari means for patients, he said. There's an awareness of Chiari as a disease, but I don't think it's really well understood. And sometimes the symptoms that people have are attributed to just having a headache and, you know, take some Tylenol and ibuprofen, and it'll get better. And that's not the case here. Rick Labuda, a Chiari patient himself and the executive director of Pennsylvania-based educational nonprofit Conquer Chiari, said patients often have a hard time getting an accurate diagnosis for the spectrum of symptoms associated with Chiari, which can include everything from splitting headaches to trouble swallowing and balance problems. Once diagnosed, patients outside of large metropolitan areas may also struggle to find a neurosurgeon who has performed a large number of Chiari surgeries, Labuda said. While he said decompression surgery should be within the comfort zone of any certified neurosurgeon, only a handful of surgeons and facilities market themselves specifically Chiari patients. A survey by Conquer Chiari of 1,567 adult and juvenile Chiari patients indicated that about 75% of patients who underwent surgery reported some improvement in symptoms, with about 43% reporting a total of significant reduction, and 78% saying that knowing the outcome, they would go through with surgery again. According to Buchanan, about 80% of patients who receive decompression surgery through the Colorado Chiari Institute have reported a significant reduction in their Chiari symptoms. Buchanan said patients typically begin seeing a reduction in their symptoms within one to two months, with the full results of the surgery sometimes taking a year or more to manifest. Labuda said children tend to recover more quickly from the surgery and that it took him about a decade to feel the full benefits of his own decompression surgery. He said that while he personally would seek out a surgeon who has done a large number of Chiari surgeries, other patients might prioritize finding a surgeon with a good bedside manner or look for other qualifications. We feel that it is critical for patients to educate themselves and to be in charge of their own journey, he said. Dorothy Pope, the executive director of another nonprofit that supports Chiari research, the Bob B. Jones Chiari and Singromayella Foundation, said the landscape of care for Chiari patients differs depending on where patients live. She described the Colorado Chiari Institute as one of the only treatment centers in the region. She said awareness of the condition has improved since the 1990s when her young son was diagnosed with Chiari and the related condition Syringomyeleta. MRI was this brand new technology when my son was getting treated, and now it's improved so much, and it's everywhere, whereas at the time it wasn't everywhere, Pope said. At the time, there were very few neurosurgeons who were even in interested in Chiaria, and I think part of that interest came after you could actually see it on an MRI. Mystery solved. Another Colorado Chiari Institute patient, Hannah Jane, first went to the emergency room in 2018 when she began experiencing symptoms of vertigo. The doctors there suggested she was suffering from a migraine headache and discharged her. But she said her illness only progressed, growing to encompass pretty much every single symptom Chiari has to offer. 
Over the next few years, she continued to seek out doctors and surgeons who also attributed her dizziness, balance problems, and numbness in her arms and legs to migraines. One doctor told me that she didn't even know what to do with me anymore because they just couldn't find any answers, Jane said. The symptoms also impacted her ability to work as a fashion designer. Jane learned to sew at age eight and turned her love of clothing and fashion into a career and artistic outlet as an adult. She said Chiari turned the work that she was passionate about into an uphill battle. I was so fed up with my life. I had no life, she said. I was doing something I loved, but I didn't feel good doing it. Things that would maybe take me an hour before could take me 24 hours, or something that I could do in a day would take me a month. In 2020, a physician finally suggested she seek care through the Colorado Chiari Institute. When several months of medication and other treatments failed to improve Jane's symptoms, the staffers at the Institute agreed to perform decompression surgery. Jane wanted the surgery, but she still had reservations. I felt like I was going into it unsure if it was going to work, but they were wonderful, she said. They were so supportive of my hesitation. We actually went through multiple meetings where they went through everything, and they just tried to calm my nerves and make me feel supported, because it's not every day you make the choice to have brain surgery. Since her surgery in June 2021, Jane's symptoms have improved. Like Reed, Jane's constant nausea kept her from eating. When Jane woke up after her operation, she said she was starving, and she could again feel her arms and legs. Other symptoms, like the vertigo she started experiencing in 2018, haven't gone away completely, but are more manageable than they were in 2021. Many of the new pieces of clothing produced by Jane included the motif of a butterfly, symbolizing her triumph and the triumph of other patients over Chiaria. And she said the support she's received from the Institute has helped her overcome the symptoms that she continues to struggle with. I think that the surgery and having them available definitely impacted my life because I felt heard, and I felt like I had a space that was safe, she said. And I think one of the hardest things in the medical industry, especially with an invisible illness, is trying to find people who understand exactly what you're going through. Buchanan said he sees the Colorado Chiari Institute as a vehicle for supporting Chiari patients, not only by offering treatment, but also by providing a tangible explanation for symptoms that can change the course of patients' lives. By the time they see me as a specialist, it's often quite a relief for them to hear that there's a diagnosis that explains what they've been going through. And there's a reason for all of this stuff, he said. It's pretty powerful. They feel validated. Arapahoe County approves amendments for oil and gas regulations. At a special business meeting, community members spoke for almost three hours to the Arapahoe County Board of Commissioners, voicing strong and divided opinions on proposed amendments to oil and gas facility regulations. The county's conversations about oil and gas facility regulations were triggered by a proposed oil and natural gas project called Lowry Ranch. The proposed project, put forward by an oil and gas company called Civitas Resources, would be at a 33,440-acre site east of Aurora, including areas near the Aurora Reservoir. The new regulations would apply to all future projects in the county. The regulations are for the entire county, county spokesperson Anders Nelson said. The discussions around the proposed Civitas project are kind of what initiated the talk, though, because it was the first time we were really looking at something close to a reservoir or a piece of water. At the end of the October 10th meeting, the commissioners voted unanimously to approve the amendments to the regulations in the county's land development code. The past amendments seek to provide additional health and safety requirements and bring other rules into compliance with neighboring jurisdictions, a press release from the county said. The new regulations include building access roads to comply with current fire code and requiring alternative energy access roads in some cases.
providing hand-washing supplies for workers at oil and gas sites, requiring additional application information, including a project narrative, photo simulations, and documentation of floodplain, wetlands, and riparian area boundaries. Ensuring the operation of oil and gas facilities in compliance with all applicable federal, state, and local laws and regulations. The most significant change to the county's regulations is related to setbacks, or distances that oil and gas operations are required to be located from existing and planned water reservoirs. The new regulations require oil and gas operations to be located one mile away from existing and planned reservoirs, unless downgradient conditions can be demonstrated. Downgradient means the oil and gas facility is at a lower elevation than the reservoir, or there is intervening natural terrain or topography that prohibits the surface migration of liquid to the reservoir, a staff member said. In the case that downgradient conditions can be demonstrated, an oil and gas facility may be permitted at a setback of 2,000 feet, asking for stricter regulations. Many public commentators at the meeting asked the commissioners to consider physical health, water pollution, and air quality, and to create stricter regulations for new oil and gas facilities or not allow any new fracking facilities at all. Among concerns about environmental impacts and physical health, many commentators asked for the setback exception for facilities at downgrading conditions to be removed. Downgradient on the surface means nothing. We have no idea what's going on underneath the surface, one commentator said. Allowing them to make exceptions to rules, allowing them to have any less than this mild setback, is going to be so dangerous for all of us. Some students spoke about protecting the environment for their futures. I think my generation of youth deserves to have clean water and fresh air so that we can grow stronger and brave and smart, and are not sickly and weak, an elementary school student said. I think in the beginning people had questions about the dangers of fracking. Now, fast forward to today, we know the effects and they are devastating. Instead of trying to find a balance with oil and gas, maybe we should first put a focus on the community, asking for softer regulations. Other commentators asked for the proposed regulations to be loosened. They said extra regulations add cost, and they spoke about the value of producing energy within the United States. I'm also of the opinion that more regulations lead to more cost, a commentator said. I want to encourage our state, our living area, to be affordable for everybody. And I'm hoping that we don't get more regulations to push people away. Some commentators, speaking from the perspective of the oil and gas industry, said they saw no scientific proof for requiring a one-mile setback from reservoirs. The problem here is that there is not a single piece of evidence in this regulatory updates record that a setback of 2,000 feet much less a mile, is either reasonable or necessary as required by state law, one commentator said. Next steps. The commissioners thanked the many public commentators for their input. Both sides came up with some very good suggestions and things that we'll ponder, said District 5 Commissioner Bill Holen. I just want to thank all of you for your public service and commitment to seeking a credible solution to this problem and allowing us to reduce our pollution and yet sustain our economy in these very, very difficult times. The county commissioners could only consider the amendments that had already been presented to the county's planning commission, Commissioner Kerry Warren Gulley said at the beginning of the meeting. Going forward, Warren Gulley said the county plans to consider concerns brought up by the community especially those with respect to increasing setbacks and other provisions for air and water quality monitoring. Commissioners directed staff to further examine setback requirements from occupied structures and neighborhood notifications in their next round of amendments. These will be brought to the Planning Commission in November, according to a press release from the county. Turning Point USA Colorado Parent Advocacy Network raised concerns about books in Cherry Creek schools. 
A recent Cherry Creek School District board meeting was one of the latest stops for TPUSA Faith, an initiative of Turning Point USA, which joined forces with the Colorado Parent Advocate Network. Turning Point USA is a nonprofit that aims to build the most powerful conservative grassroots activist network on high school and college campuses across the country, according to its website. The Colorado Parent Advocacy Network said on its website that it wants to restore a rigorous, non-political, safe, and fulfilling educational experience for all students. The group's collaboration comes as activists accuse the school district of providing pornographic books to children, accusations that spurred a threat against several district schools. Representatives of the groups gathered in the parking lot of Prairie Middle School in Aurora before the school board meeting. People had signs such as, Freed by Christ, Fear God, Not Gov. In a Facebook post shared before the meeting, the Colorado Parent Advocacy Network said that parents would join hands with Turning Point USA to restore the parents' voice in education. On October 6, TPUSA Faith said via Facebook that Pastor John Amanchukwu would attend the Cherry Creek School Board meeting, a recent stop in a national tour he is doing in partnership with TPUSA Faith. In an August 21st video posted on TPUSA Faith's Instagram account, Amon Chukwu said he is known as the book-banning pastor. I'm coming to a school board near you. I'm partnering with TPUSA Faith to tackle school boards around the country and go to some of the wokest school boards in the nation, he said in the video. TPUSA Faith has a request form people can submit to get Amon Chukwu to speak at a school board meeting. He has attended meetings throughout the country, such as in North Carolina, Florida, and Nevada. However, he was not permitted to give public comment at the Cherry Creek School Board meeting. Abe Smith, a spokesperson for the school district, said via email that he was not permitted to give a comment because he has no connection to the school district. Per our board policy, those wanting to speak during public comment at a board meeting must be residents of the Cherry Creek School District, parents, guardians of student enrollment in CCSD, a student or staff member, Smith wrote. Pastor Amon Chukwu is not a resident of the Cherry Creek School District and is not connected to the district in any way. In response to not being able to speak, Amon Chukwu and TPUSA Faith posted an edited video on Instagram. In the video, Amon Chukwu, whose Facebook account says he lives in North Carolina, said he has been a resident of Colorado since October 5th. I'm a resident of this state because I have a roommate agreement, he said, and they still don't want to allow me to speak. I'm labeled now as the book-banning pastor who's harassing school boards around the country, he said. We'll continue to speak the truth, share the truth, and expose these clowns because they're filthy. Superintendent said false claims led to threat against Cherry Creek schools. Libs of TikTok, whose founder, Chaya Raichik, recently became a contributor for Turning Point USA, said the Cherry Creek School District reportedly blocked any incoming mail from the libsoftiktalk.com domain district-wide. They want to provide pornographic books and groom children of all ages, while blocking staff and board members from communicating with us, the platform said. Later in the message, Libs of TikTok said, This is where you come in. You can email the superintendent the district leadership team, and the school board asking them why they provide pornographic books to children and why they blocked libs of TikTok from communicating with them. In response, the Colorado Parent Advocacy Network, or CPAN, said on social media that the school district is hiding a lot more than porn from families. Superintendent Chris Smith and Board of Education, why are you allowing our children to read porn? 
CPAN said in a Facebook post. On September 26th, Superintendent Christopher Smith sent a letter to families saying that false claims about staff at library books led to a threat beginning made against five buildings. Smith said the school district received hundreds of emails, calls, and social media comments making false claims about books in our libraries and actions of our teacher staff and district administration. The majority of these claims came from outside of Colorado, he said. This misinformation campaign led to an anonymous email making a threat against three of our elementary schools and two administration buildings, Smith wrote. Many of the books being targeted are books that address the LGBTQ plus experience, bullying, and homophobia, Smith said. None of the books in question are offered in CCSD elementary schools, Smith wrote. We maintain libraries with age-appropriate materials available for students to see themselves represented, represented or learn about the experiences of others who are different from them. Vice News reported on October 4th that at least 11 schools or school districts that were targeted by libs of TikTok over anti-LGBTQ grooming Conspiracies last month received bomb threats just days later, including Cherry Creek and Denver Public Schools. School District says books Gender Queer and All Boys Aren't Blue were never available to elementary students. Libs of TikTok claimed the books Gender Queer and All Boys Aren't Blue were available to Cherry Creek School's elementary students, which is not true, the school district says. Libs of TikTok said Gender Queer was available for elementary students to digitally download, and All Boys Aren't Blue was available as an audiobook in an elementary school. During the October 9th school board meeting, Lori Gimmelstein, the executive director of Colorado Parent Advocacy Network, said Smith, lied to the public. On September 28th, I have a recording of All Boys Aren't Blue available in four elementary schools, Gimmelstein said. However, Abby Smith, a Cherry Creek School spokesperson, said via email that these books were never accessible to elementary students. The books All Boys Aren't Blue is not available in any of our elementary schools. It is not available on the shelves of the library, and it is not available as an e-book to elementary students, Smith wrote. Smith said that previously, when members of the public accessed the library page from an, any elementary school website, it connected them with the district library homepage. Catalog searches on this page would turn up any book available in the school district's online ebook system, including All Boys Aren't Blue, she said. However, elementary students are not able to borrow that ebook, as it is only available for high school students, she said. We have since removed the ebook search function from elementary library pages, so it now only shows what is available on elementary library shelves, she wrote. Elementary students can still check out ebooks both at the library and through logging in at home, Smith said. The book Gender Queer is available in some of the Cherry Creek High School libraries, she said. However, it is not available to elementary and middle school students. It is important that students have access to a wide range of age-appropriate materials that explore different perspectives and different lived experience, as Smoth, uh, uh, Smith wrote. Gender Queer and All Boys Aren't Blue are not available to elementary school students, she wrote. Even before we removed the ebook search function on the public site, they were not accessible to elementary students. Elementary students are not, nor were they ever, able to access or check out these two books, Smith wrote. Superintendent, I will not back down to hate.
At the October 9th school board meeting, Smith recounted the messages the school district received. He said a little over a week ago he was flooded with hate via email, social media, and voice messages that called teachers despicable things. Teachers who protect our students, no matter who they love, no matter what race they are, no matter what religion, because this is public education, and each child matters, and each staff member matters, Smith said. I want you to know that I stand with you. I will stand alongside of you, and I will knock back down to hate, he continued, prompting applause from the crowd. Some of the attendees carried signs such as, Representation matters. I will defend queer kids. And just one accepting adult can save a queer person's life. Members of the Parasol Patrol, a group that uses umbrellas to help shield people from protesters at LGBTQ plus events, attended the school board meeting, holding umbrellas near the entrance of the school. Cherry Creek Education Association President Casey Ellis spoke during public comment, saying she is proud to represent more than 2,700 members. I want to thank the board for their continued support of students and educators in this district even during a time where anti-public education forces have threatened our schools and made ridiculous claims about books that are not in our elementary schools in an effort to stir up more hate from extremist groups, Ellis said. I also want to appreciate Superintendent Smith's remarks that we will not tolerate harassments or attacks against our LGBTQ plus community, she continued. Lori Gimmelstein, the executive director of Colorado Parent Advocacy Network, said the organization is not anti-LGBTQ+. The Cherry Creek and Colorado Parent Advocacy Network have never, not once, done anything anti-LGBTQIA+. We support every person, she said. I want to know right now, why is it hateful to our kids that identify as LGBT to protect them from porn, Gimmelstein said. Those interested in listening to an audio recording of the full meeting can visit bit.ly forward slash cc100923. Thank you for joining us for the Arapahoe County News. My name is Tim. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.